hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week, I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hello guys, welcome back to episode number 34 and today I'm joined by an amazing guest, Dr. Sarah DeFrancesco. Dr. Sarah is a holistic root cause naturopathic doctor, licensed acupuncturist and the founder of Thrive Force, an integrative medicine clinic that specialises in digestive, immune and brain health problems. Dr. DeFrancesco helps people turn their brain and health back on by healing root cause metabolic problems like overlooked inflammatory triggers, stealth infections and nutritional deficiencies, combined with holistic neuroscience so that you can heal the root cause of what's going on and what's preventing you from being well. Using the synergy of holistic medicine, functional medicine testing, neuroscience and mind-body medicine, Dr. DeFrancesco partners with patients to help digestive problems, fatigue, insomnia, anxiety, depression, brain fog, memory problems and autoimmune neurological conditions. This approach focuses on investigating and identifying the root cause of your health problems to remove obstacles to healing, correct imbalances, allowing dysfunctional systems to heal. You can find her website and her services on thrivingforce.com. And in this episode, we are discussing the gut-brain connection, one of my favourite subjects. And I asked Dr. Sarah to run through the most common causes of anxiety, neurological problems, plus what people can do about them. So we cover subjects like blood sugar imbalances, what it actually means for someone to balance their blood sugar, poor gut health and her approach to overcoming certain things like gut infections, food sensitivities including histamine sensitivity which is a real area of interest for me because that's something that I've dealt with personally. Also other factors and root causes of anxiety include inflammation, nutrient deficiencies, mental and emotional stressors, chronic infections and brain injuries. We also discuss the subject of childhood stressors and trauma and how they can set you up for potentially developing anxiety and gut health issues later on in life. You can really tell that Dr. Sarah is passionate about this subject because it's something that she's personally struggled with and in my opinion that's always makes you a better practitioner because you can understand what your clients and your patients are going through. And I love that she's not anti-medicine, but she shares a lot about the potential root causes of anxiety and digestive issues. Probably 99% of the time, these are things that you can fully overcome or at least make a huge difference to. And I wish that we had more doctors like Sarah available in the UK. We don't really have naturopathic doctors here, just practitioners. And I think it would just provide so much relief and hope for so many individuals with digestive and mental health disorders because they are rampant these days for a myriad myriad of reasons, the most common of which we're going to discuss in this episode. So I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Dr. Sarah. Welcome to the podcast. 
Hi, Vivian. So wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm so excited to be talking about the gut-brain connection today, diving deeper into anxiety. We've not really covered that, and I know that's something that a lot of my clients struggle with, and I think a lot of the population actually struggle with this, whether they um, whether they talk about it. Some people are really private and don't actually share this, so I'm sure that a lot of your recommendations will be very helpful today. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so excited to dive into this topic. It affects so many people. Here in the United States, anxiety is the number one cause of disability. And so many people are suffering from it. And some people don't even realize that what they're dealing with just emotionally on a day-to-day basis is actually some underlying anxiety and that it can be healed through just exploring what's going on with their biochemistry and doing something to reset the mind and calm their nervous system. And we have so much control over this. So I'm really excited to share with people what they can do. Yeah. And I think you're on the same lines that anxiety is more of a symptom than the problem itself. So it's a result of a deeper imbalance. So I'm excited to dive deeper into some of these things as well. But first, why don't you just tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into specializing in this area? Is anxiety something that you dealt with personally? Yeah, so I got into this because I lived it, and um, it's something actually that runs in one side of my family, and something that I sort of knew about growing up. I experienced it with the adults in my family, um, but you know, usually in my family, uh, you wouldn't experience it until you're in your 40s. That's when it tended to manifest. For me, it manifested much earlier because. Um, I was the first in that side of the family to go to medical school. And so when you have that sort of underlying genetic predisposition and then you add on stressors and lack of sleep and all those things, that's when anxiety can come out. So for me, it manifested much earlier and it was very severe. Um, I experienced anxiety daily um, and it wasn't situational. It was just a general level of anxiety but what really hurt me and hurt my confidence and how I thought about myself, which I think is really important to address with anxiety because that happens for so many people, is I had panic attacks. And so my panic attacks happened around uh, sort of like the perfect storm of things. Like I would have been lacking sleep, maybe I was sick, and then I'd have a major thing that I needed to perform, like a test or something like that, that raised that level of stress. And then boom, and you know, an anxiety attack, a panic attack, where I literally thought, I'm never going to be a doctor. I might die right now. Everyone hates me. Like all of these thoughts that make no sense, but it's so real in that moment. And for people who haven't experienced it, um, it may be hard to understand if you're witnessing this. Maybe somebody in your life has it. So I think it's important to understand that what's happening when we have an anxiety attack is there is a neurotransmitter and hormonal change. And this creates a thought pattern that people cannot escape from. And it creates sort of in that moment, almost phobias or fears that they may have no basis in reality, but that does not matter because it's just what's the biochemistry that's driving this. So that's really important to understand. Um, And for me, I was in naturopathic medical school. I was pursuing my naturopathic doctorate and my acupuncture license. And, um, you know, I, I sought the, the route of holistic medicine and a lot of people just, you know, try to help me with herbs or supplements, but no one was really looking at the root causes. And so I actually suffered with this for five years and I went through medical school like this, which was really not a fun time to do that. Um, 
And it really came down to, for me, the first thing was realizing how much I could affect my mood with food as medicine. And for me in particular, now this isn't for everyone, but it is very common, is a common root cause of anxiety is digestive distress. And for me, that was actually linked to celiac disease. And um, that was actually found to be true for other members of my family who are also suffering from this. And that really helped them regulate their mood. Now, beyond that, I had also had a traumatic brain injury as a child. Um, I'm a horseback rider and I had a horseback riding accident and, you know, this was back in eighth grade. So um, I rebounded and recovered from that accident extremely well. But what few people know is that if you had a brain injury, um, even if it's not considered severe at the time, uh, when you add in inflammatory triggers and other stressors on your biochemistry and on your brain, this can manifest much later. So for me, that traumatic brain injury and the results of that really didn't manifest or I didn't realize what was going on until decades later. And so that's why I'm so passionate about this work because I had all the standard naturopathic things, all the standard holistic things, um, and they certainly helped, but no one was going how is your digestion tied to this? How is your family history tied to this? What about your personal journey and this traumatic brain injury that happened? And so the most important part to realize, we're going to talk about a lot of things that are common, um, that may be true for folks at home, but please realize that this is about your personal story and what's true for you may not be true for another. So I just want to make that clear right from the beginning. This is such an indiv individualized journey. And I'm also very passionate to let you guys know that if you are suffering from anxiety, you are probably a very uh, empathetic, very intuitive, very intelligently uh, or, or emotionally intelligent person. And it's actually a gift. It sucks when you're going through it. So this is not all rainbows and unicorns, like I like to say, but there is another side for you. And this healing process will absolutely change your life for the better. And that's what I want you guys to know about today. Yeah, I love that positive spin on that. And yeah, it sounds like you had the perfect storm of symptoms and factors in your life that led to your anxiety. But like you said, everyone's different. So I want to go into some of the most common triggers and causes or drivers of anxiety. So could you cover the mechanisms behind some of these things and what people can do to overcome them, starting with blood sugar imbalances? So for you personally, you probably were eating a healthy-ish diet, studying um, naturopathic medicine, but what does it actually mean to have balanced blood sugar we hear this term thrown around all the time now but i don't think people actually know what it means and why it's so important yeah this is this is a great topic so um you know the the root causes of anxiety are there's so many that we will probably not be able to cover them all in this hour but i'm so glad you asked the question of blood sugar because to me this is the number one thing that we can control right away because you can control it with your food, you can control it with your mindfulness and with your habits. I'm gonna explain all of that. And this is really the first thing that I consider with people and it's one of the easiest things to fix. So before we get all fancy and we get into genetic mutations and we get into fancy tests, it's like, okay, what's going on with our diet? And beyond that, what is going on with stress? So few people realize that it's not just the food that you're eating. It's not just avoiding sugar. It's not just um, 
you know, making sure that you have enough protein and healthy fat at every meal, although we will talk about that, it's also managing your stress. So for a lot of people, it's not actually their food, especially if that's something, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast and you've been taking action and you're, you know, eating your vegetables every day, you're eating healthy protein, you know, you're eliminating a lot of the inflammatory foods and that's something that you're working on and you're still having trouble managing your blood sugar, then what might be the problem is stress and how you react to stress. So to me, this is really a three-pronged approach that we need to take to uh, building that foundation for a healthy mood and reducing and healing anxiety is we have to get the diet right, we have to get the stress eliminated as much as possible. And beyond that, we really have to change how we react to stress because we can't eliminate all the stressors, although I do advise you do your best, right? So we'll talk about that. But at the end of the day, you know, you can't help if you get a nasty email from someone. You can't help, you know, if, if there's something that has come into your world that disturbs your sense of peace. It's, it is up to you and it, it's each of our responsibilities to own uh, our emotions and to be able to center ourselves and just not have those stressors really light us up. So let's start with food. So for food, um, there's a few things that can be happening here is first, a lot of times people are just eating too much sugar. And this has to do with either sugar cravings and, you know, snacks and chocolate and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it can also have to do with the microbiome. So when we're having, uh, you know, a dysbiosis or an infection in our gut, the gut bugs actually change the sugar cravings that we have. So when people say to me, I just crave sugar like crazy, I don't know what to do about it, I feel you know, like almost like there can be an element of addiction here, then that makes me go, hey, we really got to check on what's going on with the gut because guess what? It's probably not you who's craving the food. It's probably an imbalance in your microbiome and it's actually the pathogenic bacteria or an imbalance of the normal healthy bacteria that's causing that. So, and, and here's what's really tricky and it's just plain not fair. Um, what happens is when we have pathogenic bacteria that thrive on sugar, they actually signal us to have sugar cravings. And then once we give into that craving and have that sugar, whatever it is, then they actually release dopamine. So dopamine is our reward neurotransmitter, it's part of how we learn. And when you get a dopamine hit, that means, yeah, that works. I'm going to go back for more. So it's really sneaky how these bugs will trigger you to crave sugar and then reward you. And they can actually create that feeling of being addicted or you want to not have as much sugar, but you're just craving it all the time. So that definitely has to be addressed. And the best way to do that is uh, through the diet by just removing the sugar slay that sugar dragon. You can do anything for 21 or 30 days. And that's really all it takes to reset your palate and, and reset what's going on there and really focus on eating as many vegetables as you can, getting healthy protein at each meal so that you can make sure that you're keeping your blood sugar balanced and also, you know, healthy fats and staying away from all of the inflammatory stuff. Um, so that's, that's super important. And then the other piece is if you're doing all that, 
and you're not getting the result that you would hope for in that situation, then um, by doing that reset, you're going to help your gut recover, but it might be the right time to uh, do a gut test, which is what we do in our clinic, so that we can actually see the pathogenic bacteria, viruses, parasites, and sometimes even worms that are there. We can get rid of them. People are working on their nutrition, so we're not feeding them while we're trying to get rid of them. And then we can come out on the other side with a much more balanced gut and lacking those sugar cravings. And actually, when you have healthy gut bacteria, they actually will make you crave vegetables because that's how they want to be fed. So that's uh, super important, first of all, is getting that diet on track. Now, when the uh, sugar cravings are happening and we have sugar spikes, whether that's through eating too many carbohydrates and what we can handle or whether it's eating sugary snacks and treats, what can happen is now we have a blood sugar spike. And the problem with that is when we have a spike, we will often have a blood sugar drop afterwards. Now, you might have heard about that, but you might not know um, how that happens and how it's related to your energy and your hormones. So I want to shift to that next piece and talk about that. So we're still on blood sugar here. So with the blood sugar, what happens is when your uh, blood sugar spikes, insulin is your hormone that you likely have all heard of that is going to go out and grab that glucose from your bloodstream and bring it back into your cells to either be used for energy or as storage. Now, what we forget to talk about so many of your viewers have probably heard about cortisol. So cortisol is known as our stress hormone. It's produced by our adrenal glands. And uh, we're, we're going to get into all the things about that. But the first thing I want to say about uh, cortisol is that it's actually really important in regulating blood sugar. So while insulin brings high blood sugar down and brings that sugar into the cell, Cortisol is what goes, oh my gosh, we have a crisis. We need energy in the system right away because what it's there for is to really help you run away from a frightening situation or help you fight against some sort of attack. So a lot of people can stimulate cortisol and get themselves into a stress cycle just by not regulating their blood sugar. So a lot of times in functional medicine and naturopathic medicine, we're working so hard on the adrenals for hormone health. And yes, absolutely. But before you get to, you know, all of the fancy herbs and ashwagandha and all these things that I absolutely love, and yes, we got to use them, but hey, let's regulate the blood sugar first, because this is something that is causing such an underlying problem. And we really need to fix the habits and the nutrition that goes along with that before we start adding in supplements. Does that make sense so far? Absolutely. But how does someone know if their blood sugar is regulated? Um, because I've had people who are on these massive spikes and crashes all day long, but they're not actually experiencing like hypoglycemia or any massive symptoms that would make them concerned. Um, because they think about like diabetics and the types of symptoms that they would experience. So they don't actually believe that they have a problem because they're not experiencing those types of symptoms. But what could be some signs that maybe their blood sugar is not optimal? Yeah. So one of the best things to look at is how do you feel in between meals? So if you're feeling like you need to snack all the time, that can be a sign of blood sugar dysregulation. Also, if you find that you just get a little bit spacey in between meals or a common one is really 
you guys say hangry there? Like the, yeah. the hungry, angry? <laughs> yeah. So hangry, if you're getting hangry and by the time it's lunch, you're like, get out of my way. Nobody talk to me. No more phone calls until I get my food. That is a sign. Um, also, uh, a big one that, that people can experience is um, they've waited too long to eat. And then they go to the store or they go to the counter to order or whatever they're doing. And they're just standing like they can't make a decision. They're just like, I need to eat so bad. Nothing sounds good. I don't know. And that's actually a lack of energy to the brain because the blood sugar is so low. Um, but I think it's important you bring up this point because so many people will just look at their fasting glucose and they will look at their hemoglobin A1C, which are pretty much what are used to say, hey, are you diabetic or not? But those are not markers that are going to tell you about the fluctuations in your blood sugar throughout the day. So we have to look more at what you're experiencing. And then there are also are some other markers that we're starting to bring into our clinic um, through new research that's out there. So one of them is the glycomark, which will tell us a little bit more about what that pattern looks like and what the fluctuations are. And then also in considering uh, what's going on with digestion, there are several reasons um, for underlying blood sugar uh, issues. And one of them can be that uh, there's too much gastric emptying. So that means people will often eat and then they have to go to the bathroom right away. So they actually, they have gastric emptying that's too fast and that can cause a problem with the way that the sugar is processed and lead to blood sugar highs and lows as well. So um, that's, that's stuff that's not really in the mainstream yet. And that's stuff that we're just now like bringing into our clinic because this is something that I'm, I'm looking at and I'm seeing all the time with anxiety. So you know, you guys definitely check out all my Instagram and get on my email list because we actually have a lot of stuff coming out about that soon. Uh, so I can speak more about that uh, in the near future. Very interesting. Are there any tests that you recommend? So you mentioned that the fasting glucose and the HbA1c may not be the best indication. Are there any other things? So you've, you've touched on the role of gut health, and cortisol, what are some of your favorite tests to recommend to see if stress is playing a role in your um, anxiety symptoms? Yeah, so, um, you know, there's a lot of things that you can look at on a basic blood panel. So, you know, I, I do look at the testing, um, glucose, hemoglobin, A1C, again, not going to be the best marker of those fluctuations. The glycomark can tell us more, so that's something that we're starting to use now. Um, you can also look at several markers of the electrolytes, and those will sometimes tell you about the use of insulin as well. So this gets into really, you know, working with a doctor who is well-versed and is keeping up to date on what the research says about these optimal values, not just the standard ranges. So in, in my opinion, in this case, we don't need to get fancy. And there are some things I get fancy about. I get fancy about the microbiome. I want to see what's in there. Everybody gets a stool test because if I don't see it, I don't know what order we need to go in or, you know, what the best way to help that individual is. Um, but with things like blood sugar, it's really being able to look at the um, standard blood test with the eye of somebody who's looking for optimal health and looking at all these markers of where they should be for optimal function, as well as just listening to the patient. So, you know, in our clinic, we meet with uh, a new patient for 90 minutes before we ever run any tests. And, um, you know, I think it's really important to hear that person's story because a lot of times people can tell me what's going on with their blood sugar. When they say, hey, I crash around 2 to 4 p.m., I'm going, all right, there's a cortisol issue here. Anytime I'm hearing stress, I'm thinking blood sugar. 
anytime I'm hearing blood sugar, I'm thinking stress. Um, and so people will just tell me, they'll tell me what their pat. I ask them about their energy throughout the day and what that pattern is like. People will tell me if they, you know, I ask and they'll tell me if they are struggling in between meals. Um, and then another thing is if people are not sleeping, then blood sugar is often the root cause of insomnia, especially when people are waking up throughout the night because they might be having uh, blood sugar crashes during the day or excuse me, they, they might be having blood sugar crashes during the night because they're getting a little hypoglycemic. And then cortisol is like, hey, we got to save the day. We got to keep this body functioning. So cortisol comes up and then you wake up. And this is the type of insomnia where you wake up and you think, well, I actually have quite a bit of en energy. I want to go do something right now. I want to get out of bed. So that's one pattern there. So it's really listening to the patient and looking at these blood tests. Um, for that situation with the multiple wakings in the night what would some of the strategies that you'd be you'd be looking into to help that that person yeah so this is where we get back to we got to go back to the basics and um, so we were talking about diet and managing the diet for blood sugar and then the next prong of that would be really stress management so a lot of folks who come into the clinic they're really stressed um, you know I have a lot of women in my clinic a lot of moms in my clinic they're taking on the world and they have very little time for their own uh, peaceful time or their own fun. And so we really have to look at the stressors that, that are going on and make sure that we eliminate all that are possible. And so you might have someone in your life that is a stressor for you. Do you need to cut them out or not? I don't know. Maybe if you can't cut them out or you don't want to cut them out, then you need to have a strategy of basically defending your nervous system from that person. And you might have to do a little bit of retraining with them. So as far as eliminating stressors, it's like we have to take a really hard look at the way you're spending your time, about who you're spending your time with, and about you know what your thoughts are. Because a lot of people are spiking their cortisol all day long because they're having negative thoughts about themselves. They're having negative thoughts about their environment. And when we do that, um, what is happening is you have a negative thought. And again, I'm not a person who's like, it's all rainbows and unicorns. Everyone should be positive all the time. You're supposed to have different moods. You're supposed to get angry sometimes. You're supposed to be sad sometimes. So this is not like, hey, only, only positive vibes here. I, I'm, I'm not into that. I'm into embracing people as a the human that they are and honoring all their emotions. And it's like, go feel your feelings, do what you got to do. But at the end of the day, your self-care really needs to be knowing that you need to shift from the emotions that are wrecking havoc on your life, on your thoughts and on your biochemistry. And when we have negative thoughts, what's happening is the frontal lobe takes that negative thought. It signals down through our spinal cord to our adrenals hits our adrenals, and now we're spiking cortisol. So in our clinic, this is a really big deal. I think it's often overlooked in functional medicine. We're so focused on the supplements and the diet, but we're not dealing with what's going on inside people's brains and quite frankly, inside people's souls. So I think this is a huge issue in dealing with anxiety is we got to get people out having fun again. So if you're watching this and you want to you know, what's one thing I would have you do today, go make an appointment with yourself to have fun, put it on the calendar and do it every single week. 
So for me, that's horseback riding. I'm just not as nice of a person when I'm not with horses. I'm just going to be honest. (laughs) So it's like, we all have that thing. Think about what that might be for you. It might be art. It might be uh, yoga. It might be exercise, but make sure you're putting on your own oxygen mask first and you are having fun. You're doing something that it might not be fun for anybody else. It might just be that thing for you. The thing that is your creative genius. It's your zone. It's your peace. It's your fortress of solitude. Uh, Whatever that is, make sure that's a priority. It should be as big a priority as anything you put in your mouth, right? So I'm all about the food, but I think we really are skewed going like you got to eat perfect and you can't ever mess up and that's not real life. So we need to have some balance. And I don't like to see when we harp on the food and the food sensitivity so much that it stresses people out. And it's like, well, what good is that going to do if you're eating the perfect food and you're stressed out while you're eating it and you're stressed out about shopping for it and you're stressed out about cooking and all the things that go with it. So it's like, ah, you know, we got to find some balance here. Um, Now, the other thing is we have to get some brain retraining going on. So we've got to, again, I'm going these three prongs. So I'll do a little recap. We got to get the food on board. So we're regulating our blood sugar. We got to reduce our stress and have fun. And then the third thing is we have to be able to be more resilient because it's not all unicorns and rainbows. So we got to be resilient when something comes our way. Um, And so people like to do this in many different ways. Um, Meditation is amazing. Um, but I think like a lot of people feel resistant to it or they feel like they're going to do it wrong or they feel like they can't sit still for that long. And that's okay. We have to find out what's going to work for you. So if it's not meditation, maybe it's just going out and being in nature and going for a stroll. We have actually science from Japan where they look at something called forest bathing and forest bathing isn't hiking. It's not cardiovascular. It's nothing like that. It's just getting out in nature. And what happens is the cytokines, which are basically, um, you know, uh, cellular communicators, they actually travel through the air and they affect our system when we're in the forest. So you can go out into the forest and you can have a nice leisurely walk or you can sit by a creek or get to a park, whatever you can do. And actually these cytokines and just being in the forest and surrounded by the plants is going to bring down your blood pressure, reduce your cortisol. It's going to reduce uh, unproductive inflammation, but actually make your immune system smarter, especially the natural killer cells. And so that is an excellent way to reduce stress. Another way is to do things that are um, mindfulness activities. So another thing in nature would be gardening and getting your hands into the soil is actually helpful for your microbiome. It's very grounding. Uh, When people are having panic attacks, one of the first things I tell them to do is, first of all, you know, just get outside, take your shoes off and get your feet on the ground because there is something called grounding, which uh, is an old naturopathic technique. But we now have the science to know that what is happening is an electron exchange here between the ground and your feet. And this will actually act as an antioxidant and start to calm the nervous system. So getting out in nature is a great way to start sort of, uh, you know, creating that mindfulness part of your nervous system, which is called 
the parasympathetic nervous system. So the parasympathetic nervous system can be activated in many ways. It can be activated in nature. It can be activated uh, just by gargling or singing because the vagus nerve actually runs down the front of your throat. So gargling, singing loudly. I think speaking your truth is really important. Um, all of those things can actually activate. And this is why uh, everyone says take a deep breath, right? So uh, when you sit down for a meal, I always recommend people take nine deep breaths so that they can just get into parasympathetic mode. And when you're in parasympathetic mode, you feel calm, you're ready for relaxation or sleep. All of your uh, blood is you know, going into your internal organs, so all your digestion is turned on. And when we're not in that state, our blood actually goes elsewhere. It goes out to our limbs because we're actually literally getting primed to run and fight, right? And so unfortunately, so many people are living in this fight or flight state because the way that our system works is we, it's either on or off. So, you know, if you are running late for a meeting, you're probably going to get your cortisol spiked. And it's the same as if like a tiger jumped out of the doorway right here. So we really have to be mindful of those things and train ourselves um, to be more resilient. And so the more that you exercise and build that ability to shift from the uh, fight or flight mode into that rest and digest through the things that we just talked about, then you know, you might spike a little cortisol, but you will be able to come down easier. Um, or, you know, you might not have the same reaction to certain things. So a lot of it is, you know, not just the diet, not just removing stress, but actually retraining your brain. So one of the things I have my patients do from day one is have them write a uh, declarative health statement. And so this is something that I've learned from the teachings of Dr. Joe Dispenza, who has written several books, and I absolutely recommend them to you guys. I recommend them to all my patients because he speaks about meditation and how this relates to our biochemistry and that we truly can change our biochemistry through our thoughts. And we have to practice, and this is where the meditation comes in, also where things like heart math, which is... Um, an app that you can get on your phone and uh, it will actually look at your heart rate variability. And this is all about getting coherence with the heart and the brain. And when we do that, it's not just about being able to sit and get into parasympathetic mode and take deep breaths. It's also about raising our vibration and focusing on a positive emotion. So when you're working with that software, at the lower levels, you can get pretty good congruence at the lower challenge levels because there's different levels you can set based on what you want to work on. In the beginning, we might set it at the lower challenge level just so that you can focus on your deep breathing and get into that mode. Um, but at the higher challenge levels, uh, to achieve that coherence, you really need to not just slow down your breath and slow that down and activate the vagus nerve, but actually. Um, raise your vibration in the sense of going from a stressed out emotion to a positive, joyous emotion. And so I'd really like to see that uh, we as a whole have that conversation more about stress and supporting each other in community 
and uh, not making any emotions bad. So I want to be really clear about that. Um, people will say like, uh, you know, like anger is a bad emotion. And I disagree with that. Anger is an emotion that's appropriate to, at certain times to get something done and speak up and make sure it's getting taken care of. But it's a very uncomfortable thing to live in every single day. And it can wreck havoc on your health if it's too much anger. So we have to find that balance and that brain retraining is is part of it. You're right. I think all of those things that you just mentioned, the relaxation aspect, the joy and fun aspect, the community, tuning in with your body and actually feeling your emotions, all of these things are commonly overlooked and everyone's eating the perfect diet and taking all of the supplements, doing all of these fancy tests, but they're not actually doing like the foundational things for stress management, adrenal health, and just relaxation, mind-body connection, all of those things. And a lot of them are free. Like you mentioned, the um, going out to a forest or calling a friend, they're all free to do and very simple, but commonly overlooked when they shouldn't be. And you've mentioned on the subject of gut health. How else does gut health impact our anxiety? Is it just through the food cravings that some of these bugs can cause that cause the blood sugar fluctuations or are there other mechanisms that can cause us more anxiety or mental health issues when we have maybe a bacterial overgrowth in the gut? Absolutely. So the gut affects our health in so many ways. So we talked about a couple of them, um, but two more that we definitely need to talk about are number one, if there is an infection that's going on in the gut, which I often find with anxiety, um, what may be happening here is that the inflammation that is being created by the gut, basically cortisol, you know, we don't want to make cortisol like the bad guy here because it does a lot of good things for us. Um, it, again, it gives us that energy we need to hightail it out or fight if we need to in a dangerous situation. But it also is there to uh, to kind of dampen down our immune system. And so often when people have a chronic infection, the most common place is the gut because we all eat every day and we get, you know, when I was in medical school, I was taught, oh no, people don't have gut infections unless, you know, they went somewhere and they got traveler's diarrhea. Like it would be really obvious in their history. And that's just not true because today we eat uh, food from, places all over the world. It's getting shipped into us. Um, it's often sitting in trucks. It's often, you know, might not be handled as well as we would like in some restaurants. And um, people have compromised immunity because they're stressed out and they're not, you know, having as much stomach acid to protect themselves from the, from intruders that are kind of naturally ensued and we should be able to defend ourselves from. So when we have these infections, the cortisol can be spiking to try to dampen that inflammation um, so that everything doesn't go completely haywire. And then this is like one of the things that's spiking cortisol and causing an issue with many different brain issues, including anxiety and depression and panic attacks. So that absolutely has to be dealt with. And then um, the other way is that if there's anything going on inflammatory in the gut, whether it's food sensitivities, leaky gut, um, or infections, then this is actually being transmitted through the vagus nerve that I spoke about earlier to the brain. And so this is another way that the gut tells the brain there's inflammation here and passes that inflammation on to the brain. So 
those are two major pathways that have to be dealt with. So to me, um, yeah, I mean, we, we spent most of our time on blood sugar and the gut plays a role in that, but there's also other mechanisms. So, you know, the things that really need to be dealt with up front are the blood sugar and the gut and all the things that are going to help the blood sugar are going to help the gut and all the things that are going to help the gut, like getting rid of infections, cleaning it up, healing leaky gut are going to help the blood sugar. So that's really foundational for anxiety. Yeah. And the poor gut health can lead to malabsorption of nutrients as well. So that could be another factor. What are some of the nutrients that are key for mental health and preventing anxiety? Yeah. So, so many, um, because really it's about, okay, well, what's, what's going on in our biochemistry and what are some of the most common things that are used? So, you know, I would say some of the most common things, um, especially having to do with stress and how we deal with stress are the B vitamins, especially, and also magnesium. So those are two things. Also what's happening here, it's not a nutritional deficiency, but a, a hormone imbalance is another major cause of anxiety is when we have the hormone imbalance of too much estrogen and not enough progesterone. Uh, progesterone, like magnesium, um, and like the B vitamins, all push the GABA pathway, which is our neurotransmitter that helps chill us out. So yeah, I think when I'm looking at just the nutritional side of it, I'm definitely looking for the B vitamins, especially B12, folate, B6, and then magnesium. And then always, because so many of my patients are women, always we got to look at that hormonal imbalance. And a lot of um, you know what's going on in anxiety, it's going to come out in other issues that the patient is dealing with. So um, you know, usually if there's some anxiety and then there's some problems with the period or um, insomnia during that matches up with the cycle, then I'm going to start thinking more about hormones. But absolutely, this, uh, you know, this, this part about the gut is super important, because again, if we don't clean it up, and uh, it won't matter that we're purchasing organic food, and we're doing all the things if we're not absorbing it. So it's also very important, not just uh, the infections, but to look at um, what is the digestion doing? So are, are there pancreatic enzymes that are being produced? Is the gallbladder doing okay? Um, is the liver detoxing the colon appropriately? Because that's another place where we can see um, the buildup of toxins, but also estrogen if the colon is you know, not being detoxed properly. And sometimes for people, that means they're not pooping every day. And for sometimes that means that they are going to the bathroom regularly, but their liver is having trouble detoxifying the colon. And so we have to support that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that all the time as well, people think it's normal to go to the bathroom once a week because that's what they've done all of their life. And that's what their parents were telling them was normal, but it's absolutely not. We need to be going a minimum once, ideally two, three times a day for optimal health, not just for mental health, but for pretty much every single thing in your body relies on optimal detoxification and optimal gut health as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And what about food sensitivities? Because this is something common that I see in terms of triggering anxiety. And for me personally, I found that histamine-rich foods were one of my biggest food triggers. And I know that you talk a lot about this as well. Um, mm -hmm. So could you just go over like the common food sensitivities, then educate us a bit more on the role of histamine and all of this? 
Yeah. So let's just start with histamine because um, this ties into everything that we've talked about. So um, histamine is something that is supposed to be reacting to allergies. So if you have a lot of seasonal allergies, that's a sign that you may have a histamine issue. If there, there's a lot of foods and maybe we could share a link to a list of histamine foods that people can check out, um, far too many to list. Um, but, uh, you know, if people are eating certain foods or you notice like your anxiety is worse after meals, uh, cause some people will say that they'll say, you know what? after I eat, it's worse. And then it's like, okay, what's going on with your gut? What's going on with histamine? Now, the reason that histamine uh, really is another example of how the gut and the brain are tied together is because histamine is often um, caused by an infection in the gut. So especially parasites. So if we have dysbiosis or we have infections in the gut, that's going to sort of you know, start to fill up our histamine bucket. If we just imagine we can only take so much in a day, and then if we add allergies, because it's seasonal allergy on top of that, um, we're going to have a lot of histamine reaction. Now, the reason that's tied to brain health and especially anxiety is because uh, histamine is actually a excitatory neurotransmitter. So his, too much histamine all by itself can cause anxiety and feelings of stress. So one quick thing that you guys can try at home is histamine is what, if you scratch yourself, is what um, is showing up there. So if you just, you know, take a fingernail and you scratch yourself right there, like I don't see anything. I just see a little bit of a white mark from the slight abrasion. But if you have a big red uh, mark there just from a scratch or you notice like if you scratch yourself, it really lights up, then that is... Um, showing you that there's a, there's a big histamine reaction there. So actually one of the things that we do in the clinic is we have people go through a series of acupuncture treatments in the beginning. And uh, one of them actually tests for a histamine reaction on certain uh, acupuncture points. Uh, so I always want to look for that. So the approach to histamine is to make sure that we clean up the gut um, for a short time, limiting the histamine foods, just so we're not, you know, fueling the fire while we clean that up. Um, there are some more complicated situations with histamine. Um, there are people who, uh, so histamine is made and released by mast cells. And so there are some people who they have an instability of these mast cells and they're dying off too quickly. And so they're releasing too much histamine. And um, this is actually something that can happen to people after certain um, psychiatric medications like antidepressants. And uh, that mechanism of action as to why is still being explored, but that's a pretty uh, well-known trigger for histamine. Um, again, the gut infections are really going to drive this. And then depending on where you live, so we live in, or you know, here in Oregon, we actually have one of the biggest pollen counts in the entire United States. So it's pretty well known here that, uh, you know, if you've never had allergies before and you move to Oregon, if you're ever going to get them, you're probably going to get them while you're here. So we have to stay really on top of that um, and lowering that, that histamine um, release. Um, the other thing is that histamine is involved with uh, estrogen and it's involved with ovulation. And so if histamine is off, this can also drive estrogen and estrogen can drive histamine. And we love estrogen. We're not vilifying it. But a very common hormone uh, imbalance is that we have too little progesterone and too much estrogen. So, you know, this really brings that whole picture together. 
And so you asked about histamine and then you asked about food sensitivities. That's right. Okay. So food sensitivities, I have a very different take on. So, um, you know, I was definitely trained to run food sensitivity tests and I used to do that. But what I noticed is when we changed the diet, the test changed so much. So for instance, I had someone who came in, did her test. Um, it's a blood test and this looks for the IgG mediated type of food sensitivity. So it's not an outright allergy. An outright allergy is when somebody eats something and they boom, immediately have um, a reaction. And these types of IgE-mediated true allergies can be very dangerous. So we're not talking about those. I want to make that clear. The IgE uh, allergies are the things when people get rashes right away, their throat can close up, and they need to carry an EpiPen in some cases. So um, we're not messing with that, okay? So we just stay away from the foods that cause that if that's what you're dealing with. What we're talking about is food sensitivities, and food sensitivities are a bit more insidious um, the way that they show up, and they're sometimes difficult to figure out what is causing the problem because where true allergies, boom, show up right away, you know you just ate eggplant and that is causing a problem. Now we got to go to the emergency room. Very clear what's going on there. Um, with the food sensitivities, they can actually take up to 72 hours to show up. And so um, this happens to a lot of people. It happened to me. I'll share a personal story. Uh, for a while, I did not realize that I wasn't doing well with corn. And I thought that I got stress headaches. Um, but really what happened was I got stressed out. I ate a bunch of corn chips and then I got the headache. And so I, you know, even as someone who's trained in this, unless you write it down and are tracking it, sometimes it just doesn't really make sense because you could be eating something, you know, on Sunday and it might not show up until Wednesday night. And then people always ask, well, what am I looking for? And um, what we're looking for is, are any of the symptoms that you currently have, are they worsened um, or do new symptoms show up? So it can be a lot of things. It can be headaches, digestive distress. It can be rashes. It can, you know, runs the gamut. So it really depends on what's going on with you. So um, in order to deal with food sensitivities, instead of going after the food sensitivity and vilifying the food, what I like to do is first and foremost, as we talked about in the beginning, we got to clean up the diet because if we can, you know, do something um, that's an anti-inflammatory diet and just focus on vegetables and um, healthy fats, healthy protein, and really the top three food sensitivities that I tend to see in my clinic are gluten, dairy, and corn. Um, also, you know, soy can be an issue. And um, nightshades can be an issue for some people, although if they tolerate them, I like to keep them in because, you know, nightshades like peppers have so much great vitamin C that I really want people to get. So unless there's joint pain or autoimmune concerns, um, we tend to, you know, keep that one in as much as we can. Sometimes people will have an egg sensitivity or even um, a nut and seed sensitivity, and that's more in sort of the autoimmune spectrum of things although it can happen for anyone. So it's always a good idea to go on an anti-inflammatory diet, cut some of these things out for at least 21 days, and then you kind of get a clean slate because all the antibodies and immune reaction that's happening to the food is coming down. Now, I don't want to stop there because the other piece is it's not just eliminating the food and then reintroducing it to see if it makes a difference and writing this down, tracking it. It's also what's going on with the gut because what I tell my patients all the time is, hey, we're going to clean up your diet. We're going to get really clean. We're going to get really clear. 
In the meantime, we're going to clean up your gut. We're going to get rid of these infections. We're going to get the good probiotics back in there and your gut is going to change. And so what your gut can tolerate and what you can tolerate is going to change and expand. So I really like to clean up the, the gut, get a good diet going on. Um, you know, we may need to get strict for, you know, one to three months. But after that, I want people eating as many foods as they can. Um, and when I say that, it's like, I want people to be able to focus on vegetables, healthy protein fats. I've said that a million times um, so far on this podcast. But I also want you to be able to like have a little gluten-free bread once in a while, have a little grain once in a while and know that it's not going to like throw you off. Um, you know, it's not going to make the wheels fall off the bus. Now for some people in my clinic who are dealing with more, um, sort of, uh, glial cell activation, which is the inflammatory cell in the brain. And this tends to happen with severe depression that cannot, that doesn't respond to anything that you've tried. It happens with traumatic brain injuries. It can happen with stroke. Um, and it can happen with severe stress and PTSD. Uh, we may actually need to go more of a keto route because the ketones are actually anti-inflammatory for the brain. So all of this needs to be um, individualized to you because what works for one person may not be appropriate for another, but that's why we use this system of cleaning up the diet, cleaning up the gut, reintroducing foods, and meanwhile, looking at um, the full history of the person taking into account everything that they've been through and what all of their health goals are so we can make something that is personalized uh, for you and make sure that you're getting what you need. Yeah, that's exactly my approach as well. With the food sensitivities, most of the time it's not the food that's the problem. It's your body has either lost the ability to digest it, lost the enzyme, or your immune system's just so messed up that it's just reacting to everything. And yeah, I was just looking at my arm. I still have a slight red, red mark on my arm from the scratch that I did. So I'm just a, a high histamine person with the seasonal allergies and history of gut infections and things. And I'll definitely link my two blog posts on the histamine and hormone connection. So how it can be exacerbated at ovulation and leading up to the menstrual cycle. And then another blog post on natural solutions to histamine intolerance. So looking at the food lists. And again, that there's a million food lists online. And if you look at them all, you'll probably end up with like five foods that you can eat safely. So the the temporary low histamine diet is it should be exactly that temporary. And it's not a lifelong solution for most people. We need to un understand and address the root causes and then hopefully expand your diet a little bit because they are some of the most healthiest foods ever, like avocados and cacao and bone broth. So we ideally want to expand your diet and include some of those things as well. And we've covered, I think, most of the, the most common anxiety triggers with the blood sugar, poor gut health, food sensitivities, inflammation, nutrient deficiencies chronic um like brain injuries something like that is there anything else that we've missed that you want to add to that list you know i think i just want to bring it back around to how much power everyone who's listening has over this so we, we i just gave you a ton of information i mean now you know more than most doctors know about this <laughs> subject so you all get honorary degrees um you know, so I want to bring it back around to how much power you have right here today without making any major changes right here now this second to shift the way that you feel 
and claim ownership over that. And, um, you know, actually one thing that we're experimenting with in the clinic in terms of food sensitivities is after we've cleaned up all these like underlying causes um, and people are starting to reintroduce things, we're actually having them uh, before they try the food again is actually reprogram their reaction to it to see if we can help heal the immune system with that. So we're having them actually give gratitude for the food and you know, just focus on how nourishing that food is before they take their first bite and start to reintroduce. And so far, we're having some some really great um, results with that. And, you know, um, it makes me think of a patient who, uh, who I followed up with last week, um, who has been on a journey of healing anxiety and also interstitial cystitis, which is a bladder issue that is very uncomfortable. Uh, in terms of frequency and pain and all these things. And it can be very difficult for some people. And on the subject of the food sensitivities, there's a list out there, if you Google it, about foods that uh, people with interstitial cystitis should um, avoid. Now, the problem with this is that when we accept that label and we say, I am an inter interstitial cystitis person, and then we accept what everyone writes about it or what everyone says, you know, is good or bad for it when that's may not be the journey for us. That's a big problem. And so one of the things in working with this person, um, as she was going through our program and, uh, you know, making progress and feeling better and she has no, um, IC or anxiety, um, feelings anymore, but something I actually was just aware of is there was a lot of fear around food. And I knew that we were going to have to get to the point where she was able to address that without being afraid because there was such a fear of bringing in new foods and having a flare, which is totally makes sense. But at some point we have to let go of that. And what happened for her is all the things we talked about, she actually just made a decision. She started prioritizing fun. She journals, she works on her mindset. And that has absolutely supercharged everything that we've done medically with her. And so I just want you guys to know that you don't have to wait for a doctor. You don't have to wait for these fancy tests. You can start right now. You have the power right now now. And so I really hope for all of you that that's what you take away from this, that you have so much power and there are so many options for you. And, uh, you know, I just look forward to continuing being able to share that with all of you. So, yeah, that was perfect summary. And if they're not already following you, I recommend everyone follows you on Facebook and Instagram because you provide a lot of similar material to this and free content on both of those channels so if you're not following dr sarah please go and follow her because you won't regret it so before we finish up just for the last couple of minutes i want to just ask you a few personal questions just so we can get to know you a little bit more as well so the first one is is there anything that you're into lately so it could be health related it could be completely random yeah so what am i into lately um you know what i'm into lately is just exploring more of what HeartMath has to offer and exploring this 
you know, coherence of the heart and brain. You know, I talk so much about the brain, but we know that this coherence with the heart is so important as well. So I'm very into that and I'm a long time equestrian. So I'm very into the research around that coherence um, with equine therapy. And so that's, that's very exciting. And I love, um, you know, I, I'm just, I'm very into anything that is experiential healing and community healing. And I think that's the direction uh, we need to go. So we actually have some exciting things coming up here at Thriving Force. So look for an announcement soon. Exciting. Yeah, definitely hop on your email list and stay tuned for that one. Is there one herb, nutrient or supplement that you just couldn't live without? I think um, magnesium. So the reason I say that, especially relevant to this uh, topic today, is remember that when we're stressed out, we're actually going to burn magnesium and B vitamins so much faster. And so um, unfortunately, at this time, it's like, yes, we can get these things from our food, but especially with magnesium, it being a mineral, it's actually quite depleted in food. And then if we add in that the soil is depleted, we're not getting enough magnesium as we would like in our greens and the foods that it should be in. Um, then if you add in any absorption issues, then... Um, you know, that's going to be a problem to get enough magnesium. So I love magnesium L-threonate, which is uh, especially good for the brain. And I use that with patients to help with their anxiety, to push that GABA relaxation pathway, and also to help with sleep. Amazing. Finally, could you share where people can find about you online? Um, so your Instagram, your Facebook, and your website as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find um, my website, you can learn about the clinic and find my videos and articles at thrivingforce.com. And then the best place to interact with me and get all the information is on Instagram. And that's at drsaradefrancesco.com. I know it's a little bit of a, you know, spelling bee to do my last name, <laughs> but we'll work it for you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it'll all be in the show notes and everything that we've mentioned. Um, I'll list that as well. So thank you, Dr. Sarah, so much for your time. This has been a great episode and I really think it's going to be helpful for a lot of people out there. Awesome. Thank you so much. So fun to be here. Are you struggling with symptoms of a hormonal imbalance? Do you have a diagnosis of PCOS, endometriosis or unexplained infertility and just have no idea where to start? Are you constantly trying to cover your cystic acne with makeup or make your thinning hair appear thicker with different shampoos and hairstyles? Is your period all over the place? Is it really heavy or even completely absent? Do you spend all of your time searching online for answers posting in Facebook groups, trying to find the solution to your problems? If you answered yes to any of those questions and you live in the UK, you would be perfect for my six-week online group coaching program. Join me and nine other ladies each week as I teach you the six pillars of hormonal health, including how to regulate your blood sugar and insulin levels, improve gut health, regulate your adrenal and thyroid hormones, and finally get control over your symptoms. Each week you'll have access to live video calls, worksheets and reading material for you to work through at your own pace. You'll get access to an interactive Facebook group where I'll be hosting weekly Q&As. This is your chance to ask me anything. There'll also be the option to upgrade for discounted one-on-one -on -one sessions and access to functional lab tests like the Dutch Hormone Panel and the GI Map Stool Test that you've probably heard me talk all about before on these podcast episodes. 
plus recommendations for practitioner grade supplements, all with 10% discount. For more information and to get involved, head over to my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and select the Hormones in Harmony group coaching program under the one-on-one -on -one support menu. I'll also include a link to the webpage in the show notes to this episode. If you have any questions, send me an email or DM on Instagram. You can find me at Viva Natural Health. I'm so excited to get started with this program and I'll hope that you'll join me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Hormones in Harmony podcast. If you like this episode, please leave me a rating and review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances. As a massive thank you gift, I'll send you a free guide, Six Steps to Hormonal Harmony. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review, then email it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to download this free guide. If you haven't already, check out my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and Instagram page at vivanaturalhealth for tons more free content and inspiration. You can also schedule a free 30-minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next steps to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally. See you back here next week for another episode.